Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgave our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We thank the Lord Jesus always, in all times, at all times, in good times and in bad times, in sickness and in health, in poorness and in richness, in uh, when I'm feeling good, when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling on, on top of uh, cloud nine, and when I'm feeling miserably uh, have hit rock bottom, I have to thank the Lord as much as possibly humanly can through His grace, because Jesus is ought to be thanked regardless what is happening in our life. Amen? Jesus is good, my beloved, and I can assure you one thing, that Jesus Christ is not just a myth. Jesus Christ is not just a story. Jesus Christ is not a book called the Holy Bible, or to some people just plain Bible. Jesus Christ is not just a song I sing. Jesus Christ is not just a story I tell and a book I read. Jesus Christ is the truth. And that truth is the creator of everything that is visible and invisible. The spiritual realm and the, sp and the physical realm. Everything is created by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Jesus Christ may sound ironic... But Jesus Christ has got nothing to do even with so-called Christians. If they only walk by name, not by deed, Jesus Christ doesn't know them. Jesus wants your heart. He wants your heart. Anyone who comes to the Lord with an open heart, He will welcome you. From nothing, He creates everything. And from weakness, he brings strength. And from absolute lostness into being found. From a slave to a son. From a sinner to a saint. From darkness to life. From the grave, from the death to eternal life. This is Jesus that we love, we adore, we worship, and we trust and believe in. Now, this evening's topic... I'll, I'll give you just a, a sort of um, a small warning. Um, it's a kind of sensitive area. So if uh, there is going to be a bit of a discomfort in any words being said or anything being, you know, explained here. So please, you know, my apologies. I don't mean to offend or to discomfort no one. But we are just shedding some light on this topic of this evening, which is love and marriage. It's a very sensitive area. It's a very vague area. It's an area where I cannot fully comprehend, fathom, fully master. And that's why there is always going to be a room for errors and misjudgments. So I, if I say something that's going to be kind of discomforting or upsetting to you or whichever way you feel, I sincerely apologize. That is not the intention at all. But we are just sharing some clarity to the way we perceive and define love in relation to marriage. 
we're going to read from the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 24, as it is displayed on the screen, and verses 10 to 27. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his land. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold. A virgin, no man had known her, and she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring, uh, ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milka's son, Milka's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Who, moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led, led me uh, to the house of my master's brethren. And glory be to our Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. Genesis 24 verses 10. 227, what has that got to do with marriage or love and marriage? What happened? Abraham is getting old and he is almost there to leave this world. And he said, you know what? I want to see my son married. Before I die, I want to see my son married, Isaac. 
the promised son. I want to see my son Isaac married. And you know what? I don't want him to marry someone who is a stranger. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to send my servant Eliezer to my homeland, to my country. I want to bring a wife for my son from my own people, within my own circle, from Mesopotamia, the land of the Assyrian nation. I'm Assyrian, I want an Assyrian girl for my son. So he sends his servant Eliezer. Now Eliezer is under a lot of pressure. He's going, not knowing what he is going to encounter. Is he going to go and come back empty-handed? That's going to be a huge disappointment for the servant. What is he going to say to his master Abraham? Yet he loves Abraham because Abraham was very good to him. Abraham was a man of God. So he said, on the way he is praying. Eliezer is praying. Lord God, the master, you know, you are the Lord of my master Abraham. I beg you, Lord, show me which one have you chosen for my master's son to be a wife? I don't want to go back empty-handed. Please show me a way. So what I'm going to do, I'm praying to you, Lord, give me a sign. I'm getting to this well to, do, to drink some water. I'm thirsty. And when I get to that well, at that time in the evening, women would normally come out to draw water for their, for their homes. So he said, I want you to show me, I want you to bring me one girl my way, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask her, can you give me some water to drink? If she's gonna say, of course I'm gonna give you water to drink, and not only you to drink, but I'm gonna give water also to your camels to drink. He took with him 10 camels to the land of Mesopotamia. He said, if that girl that says, not only you will drink, I'll give also water to your camels to drink, then this is the one for my master's son, uh, Isaac. And this girl happened to be Rebecca. And she was related to Abraham. Her dad was Abraham's brother, Nahor, who had passed away. At an early stage. Now Lazarus, Eliezer, he was overwhelmed with joy and surprise and everything. He said, wow, Lord, you are amazing. You have, you really show that you love my master Abraham. You've just revealed to me which girl is this. So he put some gold on this girl's hand. He said, can you tell me where is your father's house? Please take me to your dad. I'm going to ask for your hand for my master's son. Guys, I just want to give you just a small intro before we go into details about these verses that we read. Now, marriage is the most important thing to God. I'll say that again. Marriage is the most important thing to God. The Lord God came and created Adam. And then when he came to Adam and he said, Adam, it is not good for Adam to be alone. Now the word alone, if we make a small adjustment to it, it really should read the following. 
all in one. That's what the word alone means, literally, all in one. What does the Lord God mean, all in one? He means that when He came to create Adam, every one of us was in Adam. Before creating Adam, He had us all in His mind. Your name, when you're going to be born, where you're going to be born, how long you're going to live on this earth, every single one was in the mind of God before He came to make you. So everyone was in Adam. And he said, Adam, it is not good for you to be all in one. I want the human race to come out of you. Now in order for the human race to come out of you, I need someone to help you make it happen. I need someone to help you make it happen. How am I going to get everyone out of Adam? I'm going to give him a helper. And where Eve came. Now, Touching base on the Aramaic language, Hebrew language, where you can understand it more. When you read in the Holy Bible, Eve was not called Eve while she was in the Garden of Eden. She was called Eve after they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. That's when she was called Eve. But while they were in the Garden, what was Eve's name that God gave her? Atta. That was her name. Um, now this is Aramaic. Atta. Now Atta in Aramaic is a compounded word, two in one. At, ta. At means you, ta, come. So what was her name? You come. The Lord God created Eve out of Adam. And then he said to Eve, you come and display yourself before your man. And if he chooses you, and he says, yes, I'm happy, I want her, then that's it. She will help you to bring all out of you, Adam. The human race multiplied and increased and filled the whole world. And that was the commandment from the Lord God, that you multiply and increase and you conquer the land. That's when Adam and Eve, man and woman, came together where they produced, or Adam all human race came out of him with the help of Eve. Out of John and Smith, humanity don't come out. Out of Rachel and Elizabeth, humanity don't come out. I don't care if you, with all love and respect, with all love and respect, I don't care if you are a religious or a non-religious person. You could be a Christian, non-Christian, you could be an atheist, believer in nothing. Whatever you believe in and not believe in, we all know as intellectual human beings, we understand the human race increased with man and woman. Ah. So now, Adam and Eve got together, all from Adam came out, and humanity multiplied. So what the Lord God instituted in this world was marriage. Why marriage is so vital to God? Because out of marriage, family comes. Out of marriage, family comes. And the very God that we believe in and we worship, He is family. He is family. He is the Father, He is the Son, and He is the Holy Spirit. Three in one, one God. He is one God. There is no gods. 
He is one God, but this God is family. He is father, he is son, he is Holy Spirit. When does a man become a father? When, we ha when he has a son. And I'm not talking about the, 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 the divinity. I'm not talking in the literal sense that God has a son in the literal human understanding. No, theologically speaking, God has a son, but God doesn't have a son in the way we think. As something that God married Mary and brought Jesus. This is nonsense. This is foolishness to claim. Foolishness. So God is family. His father, his son, his family. He loves family. And the number one attack that came, came to the family. The enemy attacked the family because Satan understood that if I destroy a family, I'll destroy humanity. God wants family. Satan wants to destroy it. If you notice nowadays in our time and age, everything that is happening around us is to destroy family values and principles. Everything. And the Western world is very well known to destroy family values because they tell you at a very early age, the moment you get to 16, you're free. Mom and dad can't tell you nothing to do. You can do whatever you want. And if anybody hurts you, you call triple zero. And you are absolutely free. You, can, you don't have to listen to mom and dad. You, can, you are an individual. You can make your own mind, your own decisions, and your own path. Individualism is the drive of the 21st century. They want you to live a life of individualistic life. And individualistic life is the most dangerous, vulnerable way of living. Because when you are alone, it is very easy to destroy you. But when you are bounded together, united together, in one heart, one accord, one language, you are one family, nothing can destroy you. It's very hard to destroy you. So Satan attacked family. And the 21st century is going back to that circle. Destroying family. And same-sex marriage is one of those ways of destroying family values. I'm not judging. I'm just stating facts. Whether you are a believer in God or not. Psychologically speaking, and I don't really, and I'll challenge anyone. Psychologically speaking, a human being, a human being is created to have both sex in his life or her life. They need, as a child, they need to see a man and a woman as father and mother. To be psychologically complete and natural and normal. Now, love in marriage... On the other hand, marriage is one of those things, if not the only thing in life, but one of the most, you know, like few things in life that you will never be able to master. There will never come a day that you say in your marital life, now I know everything about my marriage. You, that day will never come. All right? You better put this down somewhere on your paper. So those who are married, those who are engaged, those who are about to be engaged, listen guys, there will never come a time that you say in your marital life, now I know everything about marriage. 
That day will never come. You will never, ever figure out your partner 100%. Never. Therefore, marriage is one of those things that is quite easily misunderstood, misinterpreted, misjudged. Since you don't know it fully, it's easy to make a mistake. Now, what am I about to say about this marriage and how the process works? I can tell you, very rarely it is taking place in our time and age, unfortunately. Very rarely. And that's why a lot of marriages are going wrong. These verses that we read, Genesis 24 from 10 to 27, you probably... You know, it was, it was quickly to read and maybe we were not focusing enough. But you will see that prior to finding your partner in marriage, there are three parties involved in the selection. In the selection of your partner, there are three parties involved. I'll read them out to you. Number one, Abraham. Number two, Eliezer, the servant. Number three, God. When we come to choose our partner, are we involving other people in our lives to make the decision or to advise us on whom shall I marry or not? Or am I making the decision on my own and that's it? I don't care. I've chosen her or I've chosen him. And no matter who says or what, I will never change my mind. My mind is set. That's it. But we see here, for a successful marriage to go on and to continue, we need and we must involve other parties in that selection process. Abraham prayed. Eliezer was sent. God was concerned. Abraham prayed. Eliezer was sent, God was concerned, Isaac is waiting for the partner to show up. Isaac did not go. Isaac did not search. Isaac did not go on the internet to find a partner. The father prayed. The father of Isaac prayed for his son's girl. Now, in the Middle Eastern culture, as I said, what I'm, about, what I'm saying here, it's not applying to our way of living in Australia, the 21st century. Now, in Middle Eastern culture, parents are a pivotal point in our marital life. Very, very pivotal. Like, I need to seek their, their counsel, I need to seek their approval, I need to seek their blessings. Nowadays, my, the last person that knows is my mom and dad. And when they are even about to say, I think my son, it's the wrong choice. Oh, dad, just be quiet. Mom, shush. You don't like it? I'm leaving, okay? I'm going out of your house. I'm leaving it to you. Don't give me a headache. But God says, respect father and mother. So that I may bless you and give you a long life and an abundant one. It is a commandment from the Lord God that I need to respect mom and dad. But again, not every mom and dad is mom and dad. 
But in the general sense I'm talking, parents should approve of your marriage. Because the blessings of the parents, it's extremely important for your successful marital life. Extremely important. Because when parents approve, guess what? It is God approving. By the way, I always say this. The highest rank in this world is father and mother, not the Pope or a patriarch or someone like me. Some people think that the Pope or, or, or the leader of the church holds the highest rank. The highest rank in this world is father and mom. Because the Lord God, when he gave the commandment to Moses, he said, respect father and mother. He didn't say respect your bishop, respect your church leader. He said it elsewhere. But when he gave the commandment to the human race, he gave the commandment to respect father and mom. Why? Because God is the father and the mother himself. They came to the Lord Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. The disciples. He said, every time you pray, you say, our father who art in heaven. He said, God is your dad. He is the father figure. And in the book of Isaiah, the Lord God is speaking and saying, if the mother forgets to breastfeed her child, her babe, I, the Lord, will never forget you. He's showing himself as a motherly figure. So the ones who, who take the place of God on earth are the parents, mom and dad. That's why the parents' approval and blessings in your marital life is very, very important. I need to involve them. I need to take uh, their opinion on board. I need to seek their advice, their counsel. However, parents cannot force their opinions on their children's and force them to marry the person that they don't want to marry. It is the biggest mistake parents do to their kids when they force their kids to marry someone that they don't love. That's disastrous. You can't force them, but you can only bless them. Approval is very vital. The father prayed I need my parents to pray for me when I'm searching for a partner. Mom, dad, I'm thinking that I finally I want to settle in and I want to be married. Can you please say a prayer for me, dad, mom? I need your blessings. Pray for me so the Lord can find me the right person. Very vital. Don't just go out on your own, please. Don't. I need a servant. I need a servant to go out. Guys, when you find someone, you need to come to the church and seek also the church advice. I went out and we talked. He said this, she said that. You need to come and say, this is what's happening. What do you think, Father? Is it good? Is it not? Is it a good sign? Is it not? Are we, are we meant to be for each other? Is there common ground between us? We need to seek advice from a servant. And then the ultimate, I need God's blessings and approval. Very, very important. Look at this. Love is as much a question of the will. Love is as much a question of the will as it is of the emotion. You cannot love someone with your emotions. 
Just because you felt good about it, it doesn't mean you love them or they love you. See, that's where we go wrong. Ah, oh, but I, I, I so much, I can't, I can't live without this guy. So just with emotions and feelings, that doesn't tell you that there is true love in that relationship. Because those feelings can change before you blink your eyes. Now, love is as much a question of the will as it is of the emotion. And if you will to love somebody, then you can. Love is as much a question of the will than it is of the emotion. And if you will it to love somebody, then you can love that somebody. The easiest part of love, you know where it is? The easiest part to this love is as a man when you're standing here and then you turn and you see your princess walking down the aisle. That is the easiest part of that love. And then when you look at her in that white, beautiful dress, she looks a piece of diamond there and a gem. And when you look, you say, wow, wow. And after a little while, that wow turns into an ow. <laughs> Love is a hard work. Love is an enormous commitment. It is not merely a flatter of the heart. Love is an enormous commitment. It is not merely a flatter of the heart. And in the Assyrian language, we say dancing shaykhani. When the heart dances, that is not love, my dear friend. After marriage, that shaykhani, forget about brother. When we look at the Lord Jesus, now listen to this very carefully. When we look at the Lord Jesus, guess what guys? He introduced himself to the human race as the groom to the bride. Oh, he came to marry us. He said, I am the groom and you are my bride. He came introducing a love in marriage. It's an enormous commitment. What did the Lord Jesus have to pay for this love? His life on the cross. It cost him his life. He died for his woman. He shed his blood for his bride. Love is an enormous commitment. It is not a holiday. It's not a joke. It is not something that you take lightly and you say, oh, it's okay. I'll think about it when tomorrow comes. You must be ready or don't take this step. It's better to be safe than sorry. Never ever rush into, into your marital relationship. It's a commitment. And it requires mature people to commit to it. I remember one day, and God bless her soul, wherever she is, this gorgeous young girl came running to me, father, crying. I, she broke my heart. She was 16 at the time, crying. Father, my boyfriend just left me. 
I said, oops, oh, I'm so sorry, Habibi. What, why, what happened? I don't know, father, he woke up one day, he just sent me a message, he said, that's it, it's finished between us. I said, how old are you? Father, I am 16. I said, ow, not wow. I said, ow. I said, how long have you known each other? She said, father, four years. I'm not good at mathematics. I started deducting. 4 minus 16 minus 4, 15, 14, 13. So you were little baby when you got to know him. You want a dummy with milk? Four years, he broke your heart. He is now father mature, 16. I said, said, Habibi, that's what happens. When you choose someone like that so early, so prematurely, you'll definitely hurt yourself. There is no two ways about it. So many people have gone into this kind of relationships and they came out of it broken, hearted, and shattered. The Lord Jesus came to be the groom. And he said, you know what? I came to choose my bride. And he called the bride his church. My church is my bride. And it's an enormous commitment. And it cost him his life. Like someone said, it is more difficult. Now listen to this. I like this, this statement. It is more difficult to live a life of death than to die in one moment. It is more difficult to live a life of death than to die in one moment. It is more difficult to live a life of death than to die in one moment. Because marriage is dying all your life. It's not just one moment. It's every moment, all moments of your life. You must die to make it happen. What is death? No longer in existence. When somebody dies, passes away, biological death, when the spirit leaves the body, that person, I can't see them anymore physically. They don't exist anymore. So what is death? I don't exist anymore. Biblically speaking, self-denial. What is death? Self-denial. When Jesus died on the cross, he denied himself so that his bride can be glorified. So that his bride can be glorified. There is a verse in the book of Proverbs. Now, the book of Proverbs is referred to King Solomon. It is a book of wisdom. It teaches you on how to live wise on earth. It is the last chapter, chapter 31 and verse 10. Proverbs 31, 10. King Solomon says, A virtuous woman who can find? Question mark. A virtuous woman who can find? He's asking. For her price exceeds the precious pearls. For her price exceeds the precious pearls. This verse 10, we can divide into two parts. The first part is for the man, and the second part is for the woman. King Solomon, through his wisdom, is giving you an advice on marital relationships. He is saying to the guy, my man, when you are looking for a girl, to be to marry look for a girl that is virtuous 
Search for a girl that is virtuous. A virtuous woman who can find. Now the word virtuous, take it out and put the word fearing the Lord. A girl that is fearing the Lord, her price exceeds the precious pearls. Guys, if you are serious because what you're about to enter, so-called marriage, what you're about to enter in is not a joke, is not a holiday, is not fun, it is a serious matter. So you better be serious about it, otherwise you will get the shock of your life forever. So he's saying, when you're looking for a girl to marry, look for the girl that loves Jesus Christ, fears, fearing the Lord, meaning loving the Lord. He said, because if you can find a girl that loves Jesus, do not be afraid of her, because the girl that loves Jesus can never hurt you. Because the Jesus that is in her heart will make sure she is always loyal and nice to you. So don't look for a girl that is blonde, six foot, Mariah Carey type of figure, you know, Celine Dion, blue eyes, I don't know what, the best looking, she had just eye in her face, plastic surgery. Don't look for that. If you are looking for an external beauty, well, guess what? After marriage and after having kids, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> that external beauty is temporal. But look for the inner beauty. Look at her heart. Who is dwelling in that heart? That's what matters. That's what's going to last. I'm not saying that beauty externally is not important. No. I don't want you to marry someone that every time you wake up you're startled. I don't want you to have a heart attack. But at the same time, don't make it your priority for that external beauty to be a must. No. Look for the inner beauty more than the external. Because what's inside is forever. What's outside is only for a short time. And if you loved her, or if your love for her was based on her outer looks, once she loses that, you will lose your love for her. Love her for her heart, for Jesus is in it. And he's saying to the girl, Girl, when you're looking for a guy, don't look for a guy that drives a Mercedes-Benz and has nothing upstairs. <laughs> don't look for the guy that is rich. Don't look for the guy that is handsome, muscly, tattoos. Ouch. Don't look for outer looks. Look for a guy that sees you in his eyes more precious than the pearl. Look for the guy that sees you in his eyes more precious than a pearl. Now this was in the Old Testament. Now when we come to the New Testament, we find the answer to the Old Testament. St. Paul gives an answer to King Solomon. He said, what is more precious than the pearl? He said one thing only. And St. Paul talked about Jesus. He said he, meaning Jesus, he who has purchased us, not with silver, not with gold, not with precious pearls, but with his own blood. So what is more expensive than pearl? Blood. What is blood? Your life. He says, look for a guy that is willing to put his life on the line for you. And look for a girl that loves Jesus. And look for a guy that is willing to die for you. Sacrifice for you. 
That's a solid foundation to a successful marriage. It is more difficult to live a life of death than to die in one moment. Oh, by the way, marriage is very well known to make things worse, not better. If you think that you are having difficulty changing your man prior to marriage, don't even dream about changing him after marriage. Forget about Khabibi. If you cannot change the girl prior to marriage, forget about changing her after marriage. Because marriage is very well known to make things worse, not better. To make things more complex, not simple. See, before I was out with my fiance, my man, and I was with my friends, and we were having a nice social, you know, time together at this beautiful cafe overlooking the Darling Harbour. And then my man decided to say a joke. And when he said the joke, all those hundred people that were sitting there, nobody laughed except me. His Juliet. And I said, look at my, my, look at my Romeo. So sweet. He is so beautiful. Look at him. He, he is like honey. This joke, so funny. Ha, 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 ha. Nobody laughed. After marriage... The same man, Romeo, tells you the joke at home. And then Juliet says, next time you say this joke, I will nail you on the wall. <laughs> marriage changes things. Prior to marriage, when I used to go and get my girl from her parents' house, I'm all dressed up nicely and a nice rose here. And I go with a beautiful bunch of roses in my hand and a beautiful knock at the door. And then the father opens the door. He says, yes, my son, what do you want? <clears throat> Sorry, father. I came just to take your daughter, my sweetheart, for a nice drive. So she will come out and I'm flying and I'm shaking and I'm all over the place. I'm lost, confused. And then I'll go and open the door for my sweetheart. <clears throat> Please come on in. And I slam it like a, a Rolls Royce automatic slamming door. Chick, chick. And then I go on the other side. Before putting the seatbelt on, I say, how is my love this evening? Where are we going, honey? It's a surprise, my love. I want to surprise you. So they drive after marriage. <laughs> Come on, woman, hurry up. <laughs> You're always late as usual. I've been finished for an hour. How many hours are you going to look into that mirror? Aren't you sick and tired of your face? And then they come out. No red carpet, <laughs> no roses, no Mercedes-Benz, nothing. He takes off. After five minutes, his phone rings while he's driving. It's his wife on the line. Honey, you drove without me. <laughs> I'm too far now. I can't come back. Maybe next time we go out together. Marriage is known to make things worse. 
It's a commitment. If there is no self-sacrifice, if there is no dying to oneself every single day, marriage cannot continue. You will encounter problems, obstacles, no matter what you do or what you say. Because marriage is the thing in life that you can never master fully. A time will come, whether you like it or not, whether you are the husband or the wife, this is for both of you. A time will come, you must say, okay, honey, I'm sorry. You have to. The number one thing that is important in selecting your partner is the will. I engaged my dad to pray for me. My dad engaged a servant to search for me. And God was concerned about me. I willed it to be this way. I chose to choose my partner this way. The will is important. It's not I'll go out and I'll hope for the best. No. There has to be other people involved. There, the will has to be there. You have to say, I choose to include this and this and this in my life to help me find the right person. Number two, Rebecca appease a lovely woman in her kindness. Wow. In marriage, when you choose a partner, and when you go out with your partner, and when you get to know your partner, you better focus on the word kindness in that person. If kindness is missing in the man or in the girl, a huge question mark has to be put in place and ask, is he or she the right person for me? If a person is not kind, 100% they are selfish. 100% they are selfish. And if you are living with a selfish person, you are living in hell. And there is no reason for you to be unkind. There is no reason for no one to be unkind. Give me a reason. Why aren't you kind? There shouldn't be a reason. Everyone should strive to be kind. You know what? Rebecca was extremely kind. In what way? She went out of her way. She went out of her comfort zone. She said to that servant, Eliezer, it is not only I will give you water to drink, but I will give water to your 10 camels. Guys, have you ever asked yourself this question? How much water does a camel drink? I feel sorry for Rebecca. She must have done her back in by giving water to the camel. A camel can drink up to 300 liters in few minutes. She made sure every single camel got their drink. Why did she do that? Because she is a kind girl. A kind person goes out of their comfort zone to comfort you. If there is no kindness in this kind of relationship, it will not last. The number one thing is the will. I have to decide what to do. I can't just leave it out of thin air there and hope for the best. No, you have to will it. Secondly, in your partner, you better search for kindness. She was a very kind woman. That's a beautiful sign. We need to cherish each other. You know, it's very ironic when two people come 
and they begin to love each other, guys, it's weird. Like a relationship built on love, and then you end up fighting, punching, bashing each other. What is this? Is this serious? Did you get together to chop each other up? Did you get together to fight? Did you get together to, you know, degrade one another, disrespect each other? What's the logic behind this? Doesn't make sense. We didn't get together to hate each other, to go against each other, to show each other's faults and mistakes, and to point the finger at you all the time. We got together to make it happen. We wanted to build something on love where we live in harmony, love and respect and tolerance and appreciation, kindness, you know, forgiveness and humility, sacrifice. We never got to marry each other to destroy each other. Guys, get it in your head. We are not enemies. Stop pointing the finger at one another. Stop. One day this couple came to me. They've been married for about 10 years. And they said, Bishop, we came to get a divorce. I said, yippee. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I said, welcome. Oh, that's good. Well, we don't charge for divorces. <laughs> that's the downside of it. Just kidding. Um, I said, please take a seat. In these kind of situations, I like to hear. I'm a listener, I'm not a talker. Otherwise, how are you going to solve this issue if you don't listen? So they said, I'm not exaggerating, easy two hours, maybe more. They spoke. And I let them, I did not interrupt them, not even a second. He spoke, she spoke. Well, they were, they were going at each other, throwing arrows, you know, at each other. You, 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 your mother, your father, your in-law. The whole tribe, the whole Assyrian tribe was put, you know, in, 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 under, the, uh, under the spotlight. Yeah, you, it's your fault. And, he, and she's saying it's your fault. And he's saying it's your fault. And go in it two hours. And I'm, you know, watching like soccer on TV. And then they stopped talking. I said, you finished? They said, yes, Bishop. I said, are you sure? I went to the guy. I said, you haven't left anything in a drawer, in a little, you know, somewhere, you know. Any shopping list, maybe he there. He said, no, no, I've emptied everything. What about you, my daughter? Uh, nothing here, there, you know, under the pillow? He said, no, no. Everything is out on the table. I said, good. I said, you know what? Your problem is one thing. And I was listening to you guys for the last two and two and a half hours. I was hoping to hear the word, but sadly to say to you guys, I did not hear it. And that is your entire problem. I said, with all love and respect to both of you, all that you have said in these two hours, with absolute respect, it is nothing but nonsense. What you said is foolishness, childish. And it means nothing. What? Did we come to the right guy or what? I said, what's missing in your life, and I didn't hear that, is Jesus. I was hoping for you, my daughter, to say the reason why I argue with him because he doesn't come to church with me. The reason why I argue with her father because every time I say, let's read the Bible, she gets angry. 
The, re the reason why we argue, because I say, let's pray. One of us says no. But you were fighting about what? You don't buy me? You don't take me? You don't feed me? Nonsense. You have misunderstood the commitment of marriage. You have misunderstood what love means in marriage. It is dying every single day. And you are thinking about you. This is selfishness. It is not kindness. When you think of the one before you and not of yourself, there is no problem. But when you become selfish and think about yourself only, there is a problem now. And Jesus is the only one and the only way to help you walk away from yourself. Let go of yourself. The word me. Die to the word me. Live for Christ. You will live for your partner. No problems. 90% of marital issues is materialistic, not spiritual. Kindness. It's very vital, my beloved. Number one is the will. Number two is kindness. We need to look for someone who is kind. Search for this in your partner. I don't want to keep you here for too long. Number three. Rebecca, it's a sensitive area. Rebecca was pure and virgin prior to marriage. Ouch. Rebecca was pure and virgin prior to marriage. My beautiful girl. Don't fall into this trap where he says, I love you so much. Come on. There is nothing wrong with uh, being together prior to, uh, to marriage. Out of wedlock, it's not the way to go. Rebecca was pure and virgin. A true story. This guy saw this girl and he liked her. So he went up to her and he said, I really like to talk to you. And I want to get to know you. And I mean well. I don't mean anything. So they sat down for five minutes. He said, um, I don't know. I got really attracted to you. And, I, and again, I mean well. And I want to get to know you. So can we please, you know, go out together? And please don't tell anyone. She said, what have you find me from the streets? I have family. I have a home. I have parents. You want to get to know me? You go and tell my dad and mom. He said, give me your address. I'm coming tomorrow. He didn't find her easy. He said, this is the one that's going to be a good wife and a good mother. When you go easy, you get let go easy. We have to be firm. Number one is the will. Number two, kindness. Number three, purity of heart. Marriage is sacred. Sacred means it's holy. You can't play with it. Marriage is sacred. So if we're here to just have fun, then you are in the wrong place for the wrong reason. It's not about I go out, I like him, you know, uh, he likes me, I like him. It's not about that. This relationship is very serious. It took Jesus to die to make it happen. It's not a joke. So we need to respect this marriage. 
need to respect it. Number four, readiness and willingness. When the kids are ready to be married, that's when they choose to be married. Parents, don't ever force your kids to marry people prior to them being ready. I know in the Middle East, not, not now, probably more so like we go back years, everything was prearranged. The guy had his fingers crossed on the wedding day. The, 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 the bride would come with a blanket over her head. It's not like now, see-through. No, it's a blanket. He can't see nothing. So he's got his fingers crossed. Please, Lord, I want it to, look, I want it to be beautiful, please. Oh, thank God, yes. <laughs> because the parents chose... The parents chose the wife and they said, that's it, you're burying this girl. Okay, dad. There was no, sorry, dad, no. There was a lot of respect. Nowadays, parents are just outside the equation altogether. And wise people are outside the equation. I know what I'm doing. I'm choosing. No one's to interfere with my life. This is my life. None of your business. That's very dangerous. We fall into a lot of mischiefs then. So when we are ready, readiness and willingness. Parents don't ever force kids, but give them advice. But you cannot interfere with their life. The biggest mistake parents do is when they interfere with their kids who are married and interfere with their marital life. And they say to their son or their daughter, you have to do this and you have to do that. Don't let him get away with it. Go and chop his head. And the mother says to the son, Son, you are a man. Don't forget that. You are the man of the house. Who is she? She talks. Mm. Smack him. Jesus is coming back to take his bride. And the book of Revelation talks about that. He's coming to take his bride. He's coming back. With all the grandness awaiting us. This bride, this coming back to take his bride... The Father's house is beyond anyone's imagination from the glory and the beauty that is awaiting this bride. There is a grandness to it. There is a beautiful welcoming into the Father's house. This palace is beyond anyone's imagination. What Jesus has prepared for the bride will blow her mind away. From the beauty and the glory that He has prepared for her. And if marriage is, a, is as grand as the Bible intended it to be, then it is worth it to wait until you are ready for the right moment. If this marriage is as grand as it is intended to be, biblically speaking, then it is worth to wait for the right moment for it. Don't rush. Readiness and willingness is number four. And number five, guess what Isaac was doing while the dad was praying, while Eliezer was sent, while God was concerned. In verse 63, the same chapter 24, verse 63 says, Isaac retreated, he went out into a quiet place, and he was meditating there. He was praying. As the man, have you ever prayed before 
making a decision? Have you ever gone to the church or gone somewhere in, 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 in seclusion and, and said, Lord, I'm looking for a partner to marry. But before I begin my search, I'm kneeling before you, Lord Jesus, and I'm praying for your guidance, for your counsel, for your blessing. I praying, I'm praying, Lord, you choose that partner for me. Have you done that? If you haven't, begin. We need to pray. When you find the partner, have you ever gone to the priest of your church, whichever church that is, and say, Father, this is our name. It's me and my girl. These names, please, Father, can you put us on the altar and keep us in your prayers in the Holy Mass service? I want to know, are we meant to be for one another? I need an answer from the Lord. And I need a blessing from the Lord. You know, don't always argue. Don't always talk. Thinking that you're going to rectify and, and resolve the matter. Prayer is very powerful. Silently pray. Go to the priest and say, I'm having marital issues. These are the names. Put them on the altar. Pope Cyril VI who was the Pope of Alexandria, the Coptic Church, our beloved Coptic Church. And I, we have here some beautiful Coptic people. I love you guys. And I love the Lebanese that are here too. And guys, never ever differentiate between one another. Don't say, I'm Catholic, I'm Orthodox, I'm, I'm this, you, that. We all have one Jesus Christ. Pope Cyril VI, there is not a lot of recording of his voice. And the only recording you would hear him talking is when he's praying on the altar. During holy service. He never preached. He never gave a sermon. But his prayers were his preachings and his sermons. Every time an issue came before him. He would take it. Put it on a piece of paper. He would take it and put it on the altar. He says. Rabbina. Our Lord is going to intervene. Don't worry. You come to me asking me to guide you. I can't help myself to, let alone to help you. But I'm going to give you to the one that can help all. He was a man of prayer. That was he was so powerful. He moved mountains. Until now. And until the second coming he will move mountains. Because he entrusted everything in the hands of the Lord Jesus. So if you can't fix your relationship. Give it to the Lord. Put the names on the altar. Pray in your little room. Lord fix it. Give me an answer. Give me a sign. Isaac was praying. As the man of the house. And I'll leave you with this guys. And this is to the men. Very vital. Whether we like it or not, God blesses through the man, not through the woman. I'll say it again. God blesses the household through the man, not through the woman. The Lord God, when he came to create, he created Adam. 
And he gave the commandment to Adam not to eat from that forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the commandment was given to the man. And then the Lord God came and created Eve out of Adam, not from the dust. He created Adam from the earth, but he created Eve from Adam. So when he created Eve, Eve went and ate from the forbidden tree first. The Holy Bible doesn't say that Eve died. God came and was angry and upset with her. Why did he do that? He never said nothing. He never did nothing. Eve ate. Everything was okay. Nothing went wrong. The moment Adam ate, he died and Eve with him. And the Lord God came to Adam. Adam, where are you? Oh Lord, I'm hiding behind a tree. Why, Adam, you're hiding behind a tree? Because I saw myself naked. I'm embarrassed. And who told you you are naked, Adam? You must have eaten from that tree that I said to you, do not eat. Why did you break my word, Adam? God, why didn't you do something when Eve ate? He said, I gave the commandment to Adam. I expect Adam to teach his Eve. The blessings and the cursings will come through the man. The first Adam, the curse came through him to all humanity. And the latter Adam, righteousness and blessing came through one man to all humanity. Through first Adam, we fell. Through the latter Adam, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we all rose from our you know, eternal condemnation. God operates through the man to the household. A man who prays, King David says it in his Psalms. He said, a man who has a, a life of prayer, his wife, his wife will be like a vine tree planted on the side of him. And his children will be like olive trees Planted around the table. His wife will be a vine tree. His children will be olive trees. Joshua, who led the Israelite nation after Moses had passed away. Joshua says, but as for me and my household, we worship the Lord. Wow. A man... The man who leads his family to Jesus is built on the rock. But in return, the woman has to respect such a man. But who has to initiate this? The man, not the woman. The man has to show Jesus to the, to the household, not the woman. The man. But the woman's role is to appreciate this man, love him, respect him, and support him, not go against him. A life of prayer, time alone with God every day, guys. We need that. Guys and girls, time alone with God every day. Make a time. Make a time where you kneel before your Jesus, on your knees, on the ground. Say, Lord, I'm here to worship you, to say I love you, to say I'm sorry for all the mistakes I've done, to ask your forgiveness, ask your mercy, ask for your loving kindness, 
ask for your protection. I need you, Lord Jesus. I'm here kneeling, asking you to bless the family, to bless my wife, to bless my kids, to make them well, healthy, and good life, and good spirit. I want them to be close to you, Lord Jesus. The man is the rock of the family. Because the church who is represented in the woman cannot do nothing and cannot be nothing without her man, Jesus. What makes a church church is the man. Jesus Christ. We need to be men of prayers. We need to be men of praise, not cursing. We need to be men of love, not envy and hatred. We need to show respect and women appreciate. Support your man. Don't go against him. When he's leading you in the right path, support him. And there's only one path. Jesus Christ. It's only one path. Jesus Christ, my beloved. Be a man and a woman of prayer. The basic fact of human experience is that the greatest human gifts are set to work only when people are prepared to risk everything. And first, you risk it before God. I'll say that again. The basic fact of human experience, the basic fact of human experience is that the greatest human gifts are set to work only when people are prepared to risk everything. And the best and the ultimate place where you begin risking it is before God. Go to God and give Him everything. Risk it. Because when you risk it with God, it's guaranteed nothing is lost. Pray before you choose. And pray while you have chosen. And pray after you have chosen. And pray after you have got married. And pray every single day. Begin your day with a prayer and end your day with a prayer. Prayer moves mountains. God is where we all begin. And God is we will all end. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. I am that I am. We need God in our life. We need our parents' blessings in our life. We need our spiritual fathers in our lives. We need good advice, not anyone who is out there. I need to build my life on the rock. It's a commitment and it's a very serious commitment. It requires to die to this commitment being made possible every single day of my life. I die to myself to live for the one I love. This is what love in marriage is all about. It's not about emotions and feelings. It's not about sacrifice and self-evasion. Amen? Girls, boys exaggerate a lot of times when they talk. If a guy comes and says to you, you are the most beautiful girl in the entire world, say, liar. <laughs> what a liar. You haven't even seen Fairfield Nita City. When did you get a chance to see the whole world? <laughs> and for all those Assyrian people, you know, when a guy comes and says, you are the moon in my night, 
You know how they sing about the moon? The Assyrian songs. You are the moon in my night. Say, no thanks. Get out of my sight. You know what a moon is? A moon is a dark, dead object full of holes. You're telling me I'm a, I'm a dark, dead object full of holes? Look at your face. A volcano just had erupted in your face. <laughs> Guys, isn't it funny when they sing, they always sing about the night, the moon, the stars. They never sing about the day, the sun. Jesus always calls you to the light. Not to the night, to the light. He says, I am the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness. You come to me, you walk in the light. I want you to sing a new song. The sun has just rose and has shined on me. Stop talking about the moon and the night and the ugly, dark little alleys. Talk about the light where everything is visible and clear. Speak of clarity of mind, of conscience, of heart, of soul. Come to the Lord and let Him guide you. And I pray for those who are married, for the Lord to bless you always. And whatever issues you may have, I don't know, but the Lord knows. Whatever is going in your life now, I pray the Lord who sees everything and who knows everything, touches the heart of everyone in that family to make them realize where the truth lies. To make them realize where the truth lies. And to come to this truth so that the, shi the shining sun, S-U-N and S-O-N, the Son of God who is the S-U-N of the world, to shine on their life and show them the way once and for all. And those who are engaged, may the Lord Jesus bless you and give you the wisdom and the courage and the insight to discern what is His will in your life, both of you. To live for Him and to come together in oneness of heart and soul and spirit and mind and language and build a family for Jesus Christ. Build a home where Jesus is the owner of it, not you. And those who are searching to find a partner in their life in marriage, I pray that you find that partner using, your, using wisdom. Search for someone who is close to Jesus. Look for the inner beauty more than the outer beauty. And those who are thinking of searching, stop it right now. Before it's too late. <laughs> God gave to the majority of the human race to get married. This is from God. He said, the majority of people, I want them to be married. Minorities are like us. People like us, compared to those who are married, we are a very small percentage. But this is also from God. Some girls end up being nuns. And some boys end up being monks. And live for Jesus Christ. But this number of people is very minute percentage compared to the rest of the population. Because God wants marriage to be foundational. 
because it is out of good husband and wife, priests and leaders, good leaders in the church come about. It is not out of the Pope, mother and father come, but it is out of good mom and dad, good leaders in churches come. The foundation of these leaders are the parents. Very vital that we build our life as husband and wife as, and later on as mother and father on Jesus Christ because we can raise a kingdom for God. And we need to help Jesus to expand his kingdom. Not reduce it, expand it. I need to bring kids to give them to Jesus so that his kingdom increases and multiplies. I want my son to be for the Lord. I want my daughter to be for the Lord. Before they become doctors and lawyers and teachers and I don't know what, I want them to love Jesus. Raise them in that way. Clinically speaking, there are four stages to marriage. I'll leave you with this. Now pay attention. There are four stages to marriage. Clinically speaking, is what they call the pre-embryonic stage, the embryonic stage, the fetal stage, and then baby born. Pre-embryonic stage is the age of zero. Embryonic stage is between the age of zero to two months. The baby in the mother's womb. Fetal is from two to nine months. And then when the nine months come, thereabouts, the baby is complete, has to come out to this world and say, nga, nga, nga. Pre-embryonic is the age of zero. The moment that baby is conceived in the mother's womb, the first moment, the moment of zero, from that moment, that mom and that dad has to begin raising that child to be one day a good man and a good woman, a good husband and a good wife, a good father and a good mother. From that very moment, you raise them to be good people. Now from the age of zero to two months, embryonic, is when the baby is born and then your baby is growing before your beautiful eyes. You need, from the moment of conception, until they are born, until they become, you know, mature people, and then they start searching for their partner in life, until that moment comes, from the moment they are in the mother's womb, until the moment before searching for their partner, raise them in the way to be givers before receivers. Teach them to be givers. Teach them to be kind, to be with a big heart and with an open hand, a helping people. Don't ever teach your child to be selfish. Always teach them to be kind and giving. Because a person that gives puts a smile on God's face. And between the time of two months to nine months, that's the engagement. I found my girl. One day I was with, my, with me mates, mate. I was with, my, with, with all the guys. And I looked. And as I looked, my eyes fell on this gazelle over there. And then my heart, uh, my, my, my heart went bum bum. And then my mind went num num. <laughs> and when my heart went bum bum, my, my mind went num num. The guys you know, hit me so hard. They said, what's wrong? I said, leave me alone. <laughs> so I walk up to her. I said, who are you? What are you? Where? 
And then when I spoke to her, we got engaged. Chemistry started working. It kicked in. We got together. I received my counsel here and there. And then the moment came and we said, we're going to get engaged. When we got engaged, what happens? The cycle reversed. My heart went num-num and my mind went ow, <laughs> hum-hum. <laughs> So after engagement, things are becoming more serious. No more the language of the heart. Now I've got to use my head. Uh, who's going to be the bridesmaid and the, best, and, and the groom's best man? And I've got to invite this. And then the parents are going to come in. Oh, how come, how come the, the girl is inviting more than you? What about our family side? And what about her family side? And then all, every man and his dog comes into the equation. And then it's a very chaotic time, very stressful time, preparing for the big day. I'm sweating it out. I have lost. 20 kilos and I look absolutely gorgeous a beautiful skeleton and I'm preparing for the big day and then we decided for the wedding the wedding day came Bishop Murray please look after us on this day no problem <laughs> red belt in karate don't worry <clears throat> so they come and face the altar and the priest thinking thank God all the hard work is over. We've done it. We went through stressful times. I had to praise my future mother-in-law. And finally I did it. That was a miracle, man. So I'm standing here about to be married. Whew. All the hard work is finished. Thank God. Guess what? Wedding day is the baby being born. It's not finished. It's just about to begin. <laughs> You're telling me on the wedding day, I'm just about being born? Yes. So all that hard work, I wasn't born yet? No. <laughs> when the baby is born, the baby cries at three, four, five o'clock in the morning. I got to sleep. I got work, I got to wake up at 6 o'clock. I'm a carpenter, hello. I'm a bricklayer, ouch. I'm a mechanic, I'm going to wreck the car. I'm, I haven't had enough sleep. So the baby is, is crying, I got to go. And the wife says, it's your turn now, you go on. <laughs> and then the baby makes the number two. I gotta clean the baby, I gotta wash the baby, I gotta change the baby, I gotta feed the baby. The baby's got a temperature, I gotta go to Fairfield Hospital, Liverpool Hospital, at four o'clock in the morning in my, in my pajamas, and no sleep, and endless sleepless nights. And the baby is raised to be one day a good man, and a good woman, a good husband, and a good wife, a good father and a good mother. And when the baby grows and finds a baby for him, the parents say, thank God it's over. What over? <laughs> it is never over until the fat lady sings, brother. The baby, my baby is married. Ooh, I'm so happy. I'm so sad. My baby is flying away from my nest. So the baby gets, you know, gets married and they go into their beautiful nest and they begin their life and then they have babies. 
Mother, can you be the caretaker of our child? Can you babysit our child? We can't afford to stay at home. We have to work, both of us. You be the babysitter. Son, your mom is tired. All my life, I sweated out for you through your dad who gave me hell. And I raised you and I made you a man. And I said, thank God I'm finished with you. You're married. Now I am not finished with you. Now you bring me a brand new baby to look after. Love is hard. Love is painful. Love is the narrow door. But that narrow door leads to eternal life. For God is love. Therefore, St. Paul says, love never fails. When you look for a partner, number one, you need the will. You need to engage your parents, your church. You need to engage God in choosing your partner. You need the will. You have to will it to make it happen. Number two, kindness in your partner. Search for kindness in your partner. Number three, purity of heart. Number four, readiness and willingness. And number five, have a life of prayer. Five foundational pillars in marriage to be successful. Beautiful true story. Listen to it. I heard it from a priest. Beautiful true story. This priest had gone to, vi- to visit this couple. This couple have been married for over 60 years. 60 years together. In their 80s, wrinkles everywhere, barely walking. He's sitting at home, in their home, this priest. He said his wife was there first and then the husband came out from his room. Hello, Father. Before he says, hello, Father. He went, he walked up to his wife. Six, over 60 years of marriage. And there in each other, in each other's faces. Man. <laughs> Needs a lot of guts. <laughs> he goes to his wife. And he touches the face of his wife. He kisses it. And then he makes the sign of the cross. He touches her, her face like that. Not, not you. <laughs> he touches her face and he kisses it and he makes the sign of the cross. The priest is looking and he didn't know what was happening. He said, I had to ask him. I said, uh, sorry, uh, my dear. What you just did, can you expl- please elaborate, explain? He said, Don't, didn't you know what I did, Father? He said, no. He said, well, we learned this from you guys. <laughs> you're the priest, you're supposed to tell me. I learned it from you. He said, no, no, seriously, I've, this is too much for me. I need to know. He said, Father, don't you guys always preach and give sermons and say that the woman... Is symbolically represents the church? He said, yes. He said, don't you guys say that we receive our blessings from the church? He said, yes. He said, Father, so it's very simple. 
my wife is my church, the place where I receive my blessings. Every morning, every morning, I begin my, my life and my day with my wife's blessings. Not you. <laughs> every day I begin my day with a blessing from my church, my wife. The priest was blown away. He said, this man maybe was illiterate, uneducated man. But this depth of theology blew my mind away. All the, all the certificate that I gained from universities, no one ever put it to me this way. He said, no wonder your marriage has lasted the distance. Wow. If you treat your wife as a source of blessings, and if you treat your man as Jesus, there is no problem. I love you guys. Let's stand for the um, finale prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Amen. May the Lord Jesus bless you, guide you and protect you all the days of your life and forevermore. Amen. Amen.